things here. So I know I seem like I'm excited for Christmas, uh, and you might think I really am, but I have a confession to make to you that for many years, I was a Scrooge. And I'll just, I'll tell you the end of that was my wife told me, you have ruined enough Christmases and you're not going to ruin any more, get it? And I didn't ruin any more after that, okay? But I was, I was in good, good, I did it for the right reason. I hated materialism and I hated my home to be messed up. Why get all those decorations out when my home was so nice and neat before that? And, you know, so can anybody relate to that? All right, well, you better stop because you're going to make somebody else mad, all right? <laughs> so, but I knew, even though I was, I was a Scrooge, um, I knew all along, and even from, from the time I was a very little child, even though I really wasn't raised in a Christian home, I knew that Christmas was about Jesus. And we celebrated all, all the other things, you know, all the, the uh, social things and the cultural things as well, but I knew Christmas was about Jesus. But it really wasn't until I was 14 that I heard why Jesus came the first time. I didn't know that. I knew he came. I knew he became a man. I knew he died on the cross and that he rose again. But I didn't know why. And when I was 14, I heard the gospel for the first time that Jesus actually came for me. Now, that sounds self-centered. He came for all of us. You see, every one of us can say he came for me right? Because he did. He came and he died on the cross because I was a sinner and my sin kept me away from God. Now, I wasn't the kind of, you know, shake my fist in the face of God kind of sinner. I was more apathetic or more didn't care or even just sort of clueless. Didn't even think about sin much. Knew I did wrong. I had good Catholic guilt built up in me, you know, but, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really think much about it. But when I finally heard that God became a man in order to die for me so that I wouldn't have to die eternally, it changed my life. It changed my life. And, and that's when I became a believer. Another thing I didn't hear until that point was that Jesus was going to come again. I thought, come again? Why? He already came. Why would he have to come again? He already came. He established a kingdom in our hearts. Why does he need to come back? Well, since then, as I've studied that and taught or, or uh, sat under great preaching on this topic, it's become the hope of my life. I think, how do I get, how would I get through my life without knowing it's going to change? Does anybody here face problems? Right? Oh, come on. <laughs> right? Yeah. You know you face problems. Our world is full of problems. But we have a hope that we will enter Christ's kingdom and he will be the ruler. And he will rule in justice. It's going to be such a beautiful time, such a wonderful place, and you and I get to be there. We get to walk on that ground. We get to breathe the air. We get to fellowship with one another, fellowship with Christ it's going to be a beautiful time. I hope that as I preach this word to you today, that you will get even just the smallest glimpse of how good it's going to be and that your hope can increase even that much because when you hear about what's coming for us, you'll just, you won't want to stop singing. It's so great. So pray with me now. Oh Lord, we want to ask that you would work in us today, work in our hearts 
give us your word so that we would see that we truly do have a hope that is beyond anything that this world could offer. And it will be when you come back and set up your kingdom on this earth. Lord, we can't wait. We are eagerly awaiting your return, Father. Come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to say, first of all, that we are talking about a time period of a thousand years that's called the millennium. We call it the millennium because in Revelation 20, the Apostle John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in six verses, says that that millennial kingdom will last for 1,000 years. Now, you need to know that there are three different views about this, and we're going to get this out of the way first, and then I'm going to tell you how good it's going to be. A premillennial view. That is my view. That is the view of this church. So basically where this comes from is that we take a literal view of the Bible. Our goal is that anywhere the Bible can be taken literally, we will take it literally. Anywhere that the Bible repeats something, it means we're to take it seriously. So I, I want to just take you back to creation, let's say. In creation, God went through the trouble of saying it was morning and evening the first day. It was morning and evening the second day. It was morning, you get the picture, he does that for six days. Well, if he went through all of that to tell me that they were six days and there was a morning and a evening, I'm willing to believe that. And in fact, I don't only just think God could have done it in six days, I believe that God did it in six days. And I also believe that it's incumbent upon science to catch up to scripture and not the reverse, right? Right? The Bible knows. Now, the Bible is not a science book. We get that. But science is always learning and expanding in truth and understanding truth and then, and then putting truth aside. What they thought was truth is no longer true. Science does that all the time. It's incumbent upon science to catch up to what the scripture teaches about that. Well, the scripture also teaches that there is a 1,000-year period, and it will last for, in fact, 1,000 years. It says it six times, as I said. So as we view the millennium, we are headed in a trajectory where we are going to the seven-year tribulation period where things will be horrible. We've been talking about that. Christ will come back. He will set up his throne on earth and will reign on earth for 1,000 years. Following that, we will be in heaven, in the new heaven and new earth with the Lord. There's another view called the post-millennial view. Now, this view uh, was a popular view, especially earlier on. The post-millennial view basically says that the church is responsible to Christianize the world. And as we Christianize the world, more and more people will become believers, and as more and more people become believers, disease will actually diminish, and we will usher in the millennial period. And finally, at the end of the millennium, the world would be ready to receive Christ's return, and he will come back at that time. So post-millennial, Christ will return after the millennium. We have people like, um, like Jonathan Edwards and William Carey who held this view. Now think about their perspective. Jonathan Edwards lived through the Enlightenment. William Carey was a part of the, the great missionary movement of the 18th century or, or 19th century and then on into the 20th century. And so they saw the world becoming Christianized. This view has waned in popularity as our world increasingly 
diminishes in impurity. Uh, really starting from World War I on, uh, this view has, has really diminished. There's another view called amillennial. Amillennial means no millennium. It's not really a fair title. They, they just, they redefine it a little bit. So the amillennial view basically says that the kingdom of God is already here. It's here spiritually, and we live in victory spiritually because it's existing here. And it's coexisting with the tribulation because we all have trials and tribulations. And eventually Christ will come back and we will be in the new heaven and new earth with Christ. Now, many popular theologians here, um, we have uh, with this, we have Martin Luther, ever hear of him? John Calvin, J.I. Packer, J. Adams, even Augustine uh, was an amillennialist. Okay, so now what they do, how they handle the 1,000 years bit is they say, well, it's sort of hyperbole. It's like saying, well, we just sang a hyperbole, didn't we? You know, I'll praise you in a million ways. Well, will it really be a million? No, it's an, a way of expressing it's a lot. So an amillennial uh, view says the thousand years means a long period of time. And it's good they say that because for them, the millennium has already been 2,000 years. So anyway, we hold here at this church a premillennial view, which I think is a more literal view of the scriptures. And I hope now we're going to describe what this is like. And I hope you'll see the great things that I see. I was so excited to uh, prepare this and bring this to you today. First, there will be renewed geography. Renewed geography. The earth will be real at this time. We are not talking about a fairyland. We're not talking about a dream world. We're talking about this physical earth. You will be here. You will be able to walk on the ground. You will see the ocean. You will be able to go to Rehoboth, go to Myrtle Beach, go to Florida. You can go on vacation. Now, some of these places may look different because of the, the destruction that came through the seven years prior to this during the tribulation but it will be a very real place where you will walk, breathe the air. But we do know of some specific changes that came to Jerusalem and to Israel. You see, there was a tremendous earthquake in Israel and a great hailstorm as well. Uh, it was, Jerusalem was split into three. Uh, when Jesus came back, the Mount of Olives was split into two. And here we have in Isaiah, it says, In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of the mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all nations will stream to it. Gertrude, I feel like I'm in your way. Am I in your way? I'm going to move over a little bit. I see her going. <laughs> all right. So um, anyway, uh, Jerusalem is going to be raised up and will be the highest point on earth. I did want to say there's also Zechariah 14. In your bulletin are notes that have additional verses that I won't cover today, but there are many more than what you have even in, in there in that, that handout. So I encourage you to go through and study this yourself. In addition to a renewed geography of Israel, there will be a renewed Israel in heart. They will be renewed in heart. Remember what just happened. The Antichrist and false prophet has gathered the armies of the world to come against the Jews in Jerusalem. They have come down from, from, the, uh, from 
the from Armageddon, they have come down and they've attacked Jerusalem. They've destroyed two-thirds of the Jews at this point. Well, the one-third that remains cry out to Jesus. The Bible says that they actually mourn for the one that they had pierced. They mourn because they rejected Christ. They had rejected Christ 2,000 years before, and they, in that rejection of him, they did not have a Messiah, and God put them off. Well, now the Jews will finally turn to him and they will cry out, come, Messiah, we need you. And Jesus will return at that time. So the Jews will have a renewed heart, finally receiving their salvation. So many verses about this, but hear this. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for her sins. And the Lord finally comes to comfort the Jews, the comfort that they have rejected for years. He comes and they receive his comfort because they, their hearts have turned to him. Well, since we have now a, a renewed geography in Israel and renewed hearts, we also have a renewed government. So you get to participate how would you describe government? Now, I don't want you to just think about American government, but just government through history. What are words that you would use to describe government? Call it out, nice and loud. Corrupt. Corrupt. What did you say, Chad? Authority. Good. Gertrude? Wicked. Okay. What's that? Okay. Yep. Protection. Yes. There are positive things. Don't think negatively only, right? Right? What else? Secular, Secular. okay. Justice. Selfish. Justice. Oh, justice. Good, good, yeah. How about God-ordained, right? All right, God-ordained. Helpful, can be helpful, all right, but can be hurtful as well. Well, we're going to look at, at a time that it'll be very different than that. Listen, just... Just listen to when Jesus is on the throne in Jerusalem. Listen to this description. In love, a throne will be established. In faithfulness, a man will sit on it. One from the house of David, one who in judging seeks justice and speeds the cause of righteousness. How about it? You want a government like that? I sure do. Man, he will reign in love. He will rule in faithfulness. He will mete out justice fairly and in righteousness. And he will do it all speedily, which is something that our governments never do, do they? <laughs> right? Oh, and you know, we will have, we'll have the ability to be completely trusting of our government for the first time in human history. We will be able to to trust him because he will be judging in complete love and complete overwhelming goodness. And there will be other rulers with him. It says in Revelation 20, I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge. So that is talking about the Christians who were resurrected in the rapture prior to the tribulation. Okay, if Jesus were to come back today, all the believers in this room and in this world would be taken up 
and we would be in heaven with him. And then when he comes back, just before the millennial period, we would come back with him, and we are given authority to judge. It even says that the 12 apostles will be the 12 judges of the 12 tribes of Israel. But John also saw something else. He says, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshiped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or on their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So there's another group of people that will be here. And that is the believers who lived in the tribulation and were martyred. They will be raised up and will reign with Christ as well. Now, I just want to explain something. At that time, these people, both the saints from the church age and the saints from the tribulation, and also another group will be Old Testament saints. When we are there, we will be there in new bodies. We will no longer be in our mortal bodies. We'll be in bodies that will live forever We'll be in bodies that have no corruption, no sin nature. We will be in bodies that are completely freed from decay. I can't wait for that too. I'm tired of this old body, you know? It's gonna be a great time. So that's what we have, the, the, the church saints, the tribulation saints, and Old Testament saints reigning with Christ. And it says, see, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm, like streams of water in the desert and, and, a and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. That's how we will rule with Christ. We'll be that for the people of the world. Now, there's more coming. There is, this is the first resurrection. It says, blessed and holy are those who share in this first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So I want to explain something. So far we have Christ on his throne and we have the believers who are in resurrected bodies, new immortal bodies, Right? But there is a group of mortals who live here too. The reason why is because there are some people who lived through the tribulation and survived. Well, they enter into the tribulation. They're invited in by Jesus Christ to be part of his kingdom. They come in in their mortal bodies. Well, they live just as you and I have lived and will be will be procreating and having children and be living lives, but understand that they will still have a sin nature in their heart. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they come into the kingdom as saved believers, but as they have children, and many millions will be born during these thousands of, this thousand-year period, um, many of them will not necessarily have a renewed heart. They will acknowledge Jesus as king, but they will not have a renewed heart. So it sounds a little strange, like this mix of, of you know, immortal people and mix of mortal people, and how does that work? But we've actually already seen that. When Christ was raised from the dead, he remained on the earth for 40 days, and he mingled with over 500 people. And so this intermingling of new body and, and mortal body happened already, and we will have that in the kingdom coming. So uh, because we will all be there together, 
everyone will know Christ. It says that everybody will know Christ. We won't have to preach the gospel anymore because all people will know him in their heart. Now again, I want to say that they will know him outwardly. Some will know him outwardly but not inwardly. They did not have renewed hearts. Some will. Some of the mortals will follow Christ with their whole hearts as we do now. But people will be flocking to Christ and seeing him. Listen to what this says. It says, many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And so it's a picture, actually we had this picture in the Old Testament, didn't we? With Solomon. Solomon was a a type of Christ in that he reigned and he was so wise that kings from all over the world came to to hear him speak and gain his wisdom. They came to look at his riches. It will be the same then. We also see this actually when Jesus was born represented in the wise men. When the magi came and gave him gifts representing nations from all over. That people from all over will come, come to receive the wisdom of the Lord that he gives. Well, there will be renewed human biology. I talked about the mortals that will be there. And here's how how the Bible describes what will happen. It says, never again will there be in, in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at 100 will be thought to be a mere child. The one, or it can be translated the sinner, who fails to reach 100 will be considered accursed. So lifespan will go back to to pre-flood type of lifespans. And imagine no infant mortality. If you've lived through the death of an infant, we are coming to a time when it will never happen again. Praise the Lord. Amen. No infant mortality. And in fact, it sounds like the youngest that believers will live will be to 100. And if they die at 100, they'll be thought, wow, It's like a child dying. And it sounds as though those who do die below, before reaching 100, were those who have not had a renewed heart. So this is renewed human biology, a change in in the biology of human human beings. There's also renewed worship in these human beings. It says, then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, and to celebrate the festival of the tabernacles. If any of the peoples of the earth do not go up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord Almighty, they will have no rain. And on that day, I will banish the names of the idols from the land, and they will be remembered no more. Renewed worship, only Jesus will be worshiped. There'll be no other gods. There'll be no other other idols, nothing. Only Jesus will be worshiped, and he will demand worship of everybody, even those who have not received a renewed heart from him. He will demand their worship, and they will worship him. Because if they don't, there's a no worship, no rain policy, right? It says, if you don't worship, then the Lord will not send rain to those who do not worship. So there's renewed worship. We have renewed peace. Well, you can imagine, you know, we are going into a time of peace that the earth has only ever experienced one other time. That was before Adam and Eve sinned. When they were in perfect harmony with one another and perfect harmony with God. 
There was no conflict. It was just them. Well, we will get to experience that with millions of people who will be there. Listen to what this says. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace. Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Do you want confidence forever? Quietness? Peace? I want that. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks because they won't need weapons anymore. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. So so nations aren't warring. There will be peace and he will settle any dispute between nations. I'm reading a book called A World Undone. It's the history of World War I. And even way back then, 100 years ago, Woodrow Wilson saying, we've got to fight for world peace. We need world peace. He tried as hard as he could to keep America out of the war so that we could have world peace. He wanted to be, be the president that brought in world peace. We've been working at it for 100 years. It's not going to happen until Christ is on the throne. When he is on the throne, we will finally have peace. And you get what's happening here, right? Right. We, we'll live in a renewed society, okay? We, because our relationships will be peaceful. Jesus will settle disputes between us, and we can't argue with them, right? Listen to this. It says they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the day of tree, so will the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the work of their hands. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune. They will be a people blessed by the Lord and they and their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they're still speaking, I will hear. That's how speedily he will take care of this. So all, all disputes are settled by the Lord. There'll be no lawsuits, no countersuits, no appealing to a higher court. He is the highest court. He is the highest court. He is, he, there'll be no lawsuits. He will protect us. Alarm companies will go out of business, right? We won't even need guard dogs. And there's a good reason for that because there'll be a renewed zoology. You see, the wolf will live with the lamb. Can you imagine? The leopard will lie down with the goat, the calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a little child will lead them. A cow will feed with the bear. Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest, pick it up and say, Mommy, look, a snake. And Mommy doesn't say, drop it. Oh, what did you name him? Right? You step out of your room or you step out of your house and there's a bear and you don't go back in. You go and you... You pet the bear. Nice fuzzy wuzzy, right? Right? Can you, this is real people. We get to experience this 
It's amazing when you think of all that will take place on this earth, how good it's going to be, how beautiful it will be, and that you and I have the opportunity to be there by putting our trust in Jesus Christ for salvation of our souls. It's through him. He is the key to getting there. He is the door to open up into the millennial kingdom where you can be there by putting your full trust in Jesus Christ. One of the reasons this place is so good is because Satan has been restrained. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked it and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I love, you know... Again, when the Bible repeats something or says it over and over, you gotta pay attention. Did you hear what's happening here? It's Satan, who is the devil, the serpent, and he is going to be bound. He'll be thrown into the abyss. It will be locked. It will be sealed, and he will be kept there. Wow, right? I mean, we have no worries. We have nothing to worry about when we are in that kingdom. We'll have nothing to worry about. So Satan is not out deceiving mankind at this point. I said before that the mortals still have a, a uh, what do they have? Thank you, sin nature. Doink. <laughs> still have a sin nature. Too much turkey, man. <laughs> they still have a sin nature. And so while there will be problems, it's all kept in check. Satan will not be there to be tempting people. Now, this is really important because Satan will be released at the end here, and he'll be given the opportunity to deceive the nations one last time, and millions will go with him. Why? Because of their sin nature. You see, we don't need Satan to sin. Sin can just happen in our hearts right? It's just within us. We got that, we inherited that from our first parents, unfortunately. But a lot of times we blame Satan, but it's not just Satan. You see, this, t this period of time will prove that man is truly corrupt without Christ. Even without Satan there, he's truly corrupt in and of himself. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashores. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast, that's the, the Antichrist, and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. So Satan is going to be released. He will deceive many. They will rise up against God and there's not even a fight. Fire will come down and destroy them and Satan is put into the lake of fire for eternal torment, never to have any role again in all of God's creation. Now there's one last thing I want to bring out to you and that is that at the end of this 1,000 year period, there will be a judgment. 
after this judgment, all those whose name are written in the book of life, that's all believers in Jesus Christ, will get to live in the new heaven and new earth. And we're going to hear a sermon about that next week. But this is what will happen to those who do not believe in Christ. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence the earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up their dead with, with, which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. In other words, no more death, no more hell, no more eternal suffering for any of God's people. All of it is thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. If you are here today and want to be a part of that beautiful kingdom that the scriptures describe, that we could only take a few moments to look at a few scriptures today, you have that opportunity by receiving Jesus as your savior because you know that you have sinned and your sin separates you from God. And because of that separation, you cannot be with God. But you see, God made a bridge and that bridge was he came in the form of his son, Jesus, to die on the cross, pay the penalty for your sin and all you have to do is say, I believe that. And I repent of my sin. I turn from my sin and I want that life. I want to live there. I want to be in that kingdom because if this is all the world that you get, it's bad enough. But this isn't all you get. If you don't follow Christ, there's the lake of fire for you. Brothers, sisters, friends, turn to Christ. Ensure yourself of the fact that you can live in the kingdom of God on earth, on earth, that you can be there, be a part of that beautiful world that the scriptures described for us today. We're gonna sing a Christmas hymn that we sing every year and it's not really a Christmas hymn. It's really a second coming hymn. It's called Joy to the World. You know that one, right? So let's stand together. We're gonna to sing this because Joy to the World was not written about the first coming. It was written about the millennial kingdom. So 